Ben, thanks for sharing a little bit about uh, what God's doing in your life. And uh, we're, we're talking this morning about um, how we seek glory. glory. So um, let me go ahead and pray. Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, we, we just ask that you would be here with us, God. We know that you're here, God. We ask that you would be present uh, with us. Uh, Lord, I feel um, humbled and, and, and somewhat unable to, to tell people about who you are. Lord, I know in your word in Jeremiah 9, you say that let the, let the wise man not boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let he who boasts boast about this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth. And Lord, we just we want to boast in you, Lord. So God, would you fill this place? Would you make our hearts open and available to hear from you, not from me, but from you? Lord, I believe that you are real, that you exist, and you desire to do good to each one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week and over the next three weeks, over the next three weeks, we're going to uh, look and open up the scriptures, and we're going to see that what God made us for, how he designed us, what is his purpose in our life. We're going to look at that deep longing that he's put into his creatures, and then we're going to look next week at how we have rebelled from this kind of glorious uh, calling in our lives. And then we're going to follow up by looking at how Jesus restores and directs humanity to be great. We're going to look at those three things. You know, in the scriptures, in the prophet Isaiah, he lived during a very tumultuous time during Israel's history. So the one nation of Israel was split into two, and Isaiah was this mouthpiece to, to tell his people to turn away from wickedness, to turn away from their idolatry, to turn away from their sinfulness. But in the midst of this warning upon warning, there was a message that he gave that was filled with hope, a language of hope and optimism. And one such section here is found in Isaiah uh, chapter 43. I'm going to read a couple of sections here for you. Isaiah 43, chapter, uh, chapter 43, verse 1 says this, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Skipping down to verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Skip into verse 6. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And what makes you long for wholeness and long for greatness, long for understanding, long to be somebody is this, you were made for the glory of God. You were made and created and fashioned for His glory. And I know what the message is out there. I understand them. And I know sometimes the message is in here, you know, in your head and in your heart that you believe, you falsely tell yourself. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't buy them. Because God made you for His glory. I was made in the image of God. It means that His imprint is on me. It is unmistakable. He has imprinted us with 
personality, with passions, with a conscience, with creativity and gifts and abilities. And we were made for glory because someone truly great made us. You know, for me, it was in late high school, early college that I began to wonder, you know, what is my life about? Why, why am I here? You know, the great existential question. Because my life at, back then, it was filled with the usual, you know, sports, activities, uh, you know, uh, work, work, and a lot of, you know, quote-unquote fun, which is just, you know, code for stupid crap I did when I was 17, right? Because we all kind of go through a stage like that. Because when you're 17 and you've got a brick of fireworks, right, firecrackers, what else are you going to do but take a third of them and go to a friend's house, light it on the porch, and then run like Usain Bolt? But back in my day, it was, it was Carl Lewis. We ran like Carl Lewis, but right now, you know, Usain Bolt. And you kind of get to the car parked around the corner, and then you speed off, and, it, you know, the RPMs are buzzing, and, you know, your heart's pounding. And then, and then because the rush only lasts so long, you know, you hit the stoplight, and you're like, Whoa, let's do something else, right? Don't you guys do that? I'm the reason, I'm the re I know this, I'm the reason why when I see high schoolers standing on a corner, you know, I kind of tisk tisk. Those kids right there, up to no good. Because what are you going to, what, what good are you doing at 11 p.m. standing on a corner if you're high school? No good. You're doing no good. I, I know it. You're, you know, but I had a close group, a handful of friends who I didn't break things with. Uh, we would sit around in the summertime, late at night. We just look at the stars. We just, we just talk about what is our place? What is our place in the universe? We wonder what life would look like, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Do you guys wonder about that? Would, would we be married? Would we have kids? Would we be doing something good, something great, something worthwhile, something that, that would make us come alive? Now, I spend a lot of time looking for someone or something during those years to tell me that I matter, that I'm important, that I'm worth it. You know, I sought it out in academics. I sought it out in sports, in, in, in intellect, in self-righteousness. I was like this empty container just looking to fill myself up with a number of things that would tell me that I'm important, that I matter. You know, even as an, as an adult, you know, fast forward, been walking with the Lord for 20 years, I, I have to fight this, you know, this urge to see my kids as an extension of my parenting. Like, like if their behavior and their success and their achievement is directly a result to my good parenting, or if they fail, somehow I failed as a parent. But that, but that, you know, I wrestle with getting my value, you know, that it gets filled and shaped by them. They're, they're responsible. I can't, I can't put that pressure on my kids. You know, but we all wrestle with questions of identity, with purpose, with value. You know, believing that our purpose in existence can be filled with something out there that makes us feel significant and feel worth it, important is at some point in your life, you're going to have to get to a point where you ask the big question about existence and purpose. What's my life about? And when this question then is brought into Christianity, we begin to see that the scriptures, they point us to a very clear direction and, and that the true object of our affection is the Lord. And so from a Christian perspective, wanting to do great things and wanting to be important and desiring to be filled with this, you know, significant scriptures affirm all of these things because, you see, we were made for glory because someone truly great made us. And we seek glory because we were created to be filled with it. We were created to be filled with it, but a large percentage of our culture today would say that they believe in God, but they give Him not a single thought in a day, not a single thought in a week, not a single thought in a month, or maybe even years. 
And as our modern culture becomes more and more secular, they are also, you realize, becoming more and more open to, to new and old spiritualities, to mysticism, you know, occult healings or channeling energy, feeling the vibe, you know, whatever it is. And while they become more tolerant of these things, even celebrating them, it is becoming less tolerant of biblical Christianity. But hear this, every, 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 every philosophical discipline or scholastic camp or religious worldview it has to be able to give an answer for our significance or insignificance that re reflects purpose, purpose and design. For instance, for instance, for example, if I handed you a nail and had a wall here and asked you to hammer the nail into the wall using a phone and you tried and cracked the phone, you wouldn't come back to me and tell me, dude, this phone sucks. It's a bad phone. You, none of you would do that. Because a phone wasn't made to hammer a nail. You, the only way that you can communicate something as bad or good is if it does what it's supposed to do. If I gave you a hammer and it worked, you'd say it's a good hammer. Do you guys understand? You see, we only rightly understand ourselves and rightly correctly understand ourselves when we understand who God is who made us. We only understand ourselves and our purpose and our design when we understand who the designer is and what he's designed us for. And the scriptures say that you, you were made for God's glory. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created for God's glory? We'll see the story in the Bible. It, it begins this way. Some of you are familiar with it. It begins with a God who is good. He is self-sufficient. He is self-contained and without needing us. He's not a God who, who needs a friend who's desperately lonely and, and thinks, well, if only I could make some image bearers who will like me. And instead, God is he's happy. He's wildly creative. The platypus is wildly creative. He makes good things. And his crowning work, his crowning thing that he made is you. It's his crowning achievement. And after he does, he sits back and he looks and he says, it's very good. It's good upon good. This is really good. And when people are created, they're created in right relationship with him and they are orientated toward God. And the entire created order is well-functioning because the entire created order originates from and is derived from God, and they love and they honor Him in right ways. They're rightly related to Him. And the, the Lord is this profoundly holy person in Scripture, we see, who is in covenant relationship with the creatures that He made. And, and to be created for God's glory, it means that, that, that we were made to put God's goodness and His beauty and his infinite value and his magnificent on display were to magnify his greatness. But something happens, we know, in the beginning that completely rips apart this order. Christians for millennia have referred to it as the fall. Instead of God being at the center, the most important person, each image bearer now sees himself or herself as God. I'm most important. Everything now revolves around me. It's what I want. It's the individual's right to determine I'm at the center of the created order. So God becomes secondary because God is not who we want and what I, what I want him to be. And so I need to have something else that I worship, whether that be me or someone else. And you can imagine how much this disrupts society. It completely unravels it. If everyone were to think that, you know, they're the most important, Who's to tell? And the Bible then is the, the rest of the story is, is about jealousy and envy and greed and war and deceitfulness and lust and rape, and I could go on and on and on and on. 
all comes from this reality that we want to be the center of our universe. And the story is that although we were created for God's glory, we have rejected our fundamental purpose and design. And at the beginning of the Bible, it also gives us a way of seeing that, you know, people are not just pretty decent dudes who are unfortunately just underserved or uneducated or just insufficiently governed, being bullied by this mischievous God who makes his thrills out of, you know, making life miserable for us. The Bible captures humanity as a group of people who want nothing to do with God's rule or his reign. And this notion that people are fundamentally good as opposed to fundamentally in rebellion of our, of our creation, of our, the way that we we're created to be, is actually, it's actually a rather modern idea. You know, the 19th century was filled with Western philosophers and liberal theologians. They were positing that, that this, people are innately good. That they're, they're innately good. And what was happening during that time is the world was, you know, from a Western standpoint, was getting better. People are living longer. They're enjoying life. They're even taking a holiday. And this massive shift happens in universities and colleges where there's this incredible optimism of human nature. And then World War I hits, and it changed a lot of thinking. And so today, you know, the humanist philosophy of people's innate goodness, it traces its roots just only back to the 19th century. Okay, back from the history lesson, which I love. Okay, back from the history lesson. You were created for God's glory. You were created for glory because someone truly great made you. Someone truly great made you. But, but today, we're more like glorious ruins. We're, we're like the pyramids in Egypt where there's something glorious about them, but imagine what they looked like back in the day. We have this inbuilt into us, this insatiable glory drive in us. It's hardwired into us to be significant and, and to have value. But glory is something that's hard to define. It's kind of like love or, or beauty. This summer, our family, uh, we took uh, this big, long vacation where we went through the Pacific Northwest and, and back through the Canadian Rockies all the way home. And standing atop the Space Needle in Seattle and looking at, you know, Mount Rainier and then, you know, the Seattle Sound, it was glorious. And, and I got, I, for three bucks, I bought this, like, bag of cherries, like fresh cherries, and walked through Pike Place Market, you know, eating them and spitting the seeds out. And it was, it was, it was glorious. And in this fall, when Cutler completes three passes in a row, glorious. Because who expects that, right? But the glory and the beauty and the excellence of God is found in His perfections. And if our purpose is to reveal in Him and revel in Him, uh, we, we must do everything we can to know who He is and what He's like. He's perfect. You might be dating someone you think is just perfect for you. I can tell you, every married person here, you know that that person's not perfect, right? God is good. He's good, but not in the pushover way that you think, you know, that some of you can manipulate your parents with. I've seen some of those looks, you know, kids can give their parents. God is good. He's holy. He's utterly pure. He's utterly different from you and I. You know, when God met Moses, he told him to back away but amazingly, he drew him close, and he makes us holy as well. Israel becomes his holy nation. They're, to be told, they're, they're told to be holy just like he is holy. They keep a holy day, and they offer holy sacrifices through a holy priest who wears holy garments, who's anointed with holy oil. 
And we, we learn about him through the Holy Scriptures and believing Christians are called saints or holy ones. Holiness, it captures God's ethical perfection. And his holiness, it seems, you know, initially forbidding or judgmental. But this is also the same thing that draws us to him by which we find life. Because what God does is he draws us into his holy presence in the midst of a profane world. So that in the midst of his holiness, he's not just the holy one. He's the holy one who is among us. He's the holy one who's among us. So God is both above us and right with us. He carries judgment and salvation. There's both law and gospel. And we rightly understand how holy he is. We're moved to worship him in reverence and awe. And to be created for his glory means that we were created to display God's glory. That he is infinitely beautiful and radiant. So that we as image bearers would, would be able to tell and reflect back to him how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is and how magnificent he is. And our worth, our worth as people comes from an infinite God. An infinite God. And what kind of love could ever be a substitute for that? This is why Christians, this is why we sing songs, you know, like, God, you are holy. We don't sing it because we need to tell God and remind him that he's holy. Like, thank goodness you guys picked up a guitar because I had almost forgotten. You know, that's not the kind of thing that happens. Our praise of God or our praise of anything is a direct result of what we value. And so as creatures, as humans, we, listen, we were meant to be delighted and to be delighted in. And so praise is such a simple thing that humans do all the time, and you don't have to be a, a bit, you know, a, at all religious, in the least bit religious to do so. And although I'll argue rightly, if we, you know, if we understand who God is, it would reorder all of our attention and subsequent praise. But whether you believe in God or not, we can't help but be people of praise. Right? Some of you might think, delighting in God that captures the best picture of what I'm to be about? Boring. But we, we forget and we regret to understand that we can't help but do what we were created to do, whether it's about God or chocolate chip cookies. Our hearts were made to delight and to praise. And not just, listen, in not just the thing that is praiseworthy, we do it because we are glory containers and it brings us joy. Do you follow? It's not that the thing is just praiseworthy. We praise what we find praiseworthy because it brings us joy. Let me give you an example. Do any of you, after reading a good book or watching a good movie or seeing a good play, or, you know, you go on this, like, fantastic date and everything just goes, you know, swimmingly, do you just go home and eat vegetables? Sorry, Amy. Um, <laughs> you might. I mean, I don't know. They're good. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you have like a great day or a great experience and, 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 with, and, 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 and say absolutely nothing about it? No. None of you do that. No one gets an awesome gift or sees like this incredible film or gets engaged and just goes home and cleans the kitchen because it's dirty. Who cares about the dishes? You just got engaged. Now, I've watched you ladies. I mean, this happens. I've watched you ladies when you school up after a friend gets engaged, and it's like, OMG, let me see. Ah, you know, you're looking at the ring. Oh, 
see my ring, see my ring, see my ring, see my ring, see my ring. And after you get engaged, like everything becomes about this hand. Can you tie my shoes? Can you, you know, can you tie my shoes? Oh, I got engaged. You see the ring. You know, it's even the guys praise. They're like, bro, bro, dude, congrats, man. Bring it in. You know, and that's the extent of the guys, right? Has anyone seen Hamilton? Do you, does anyone have tickets to see Hamilton? Okay, oh my God. Listen, is that Kristen? Oh my, okay. Kristen hasn't even seen Hamilton yet, and, and anyone who knows her how, knows how good the soundtrack is and how obsessed she is. And oh, do you know this? She's got tickets to see Hamilton, okay? I know. So he knows what to do in the trench, ingenuity and fluent in French, I mean So you're gonna have to use him eventually What's he gonna do in the bench, I mean No one has more resilience or matches my practical tactical brilliance I get to see it, I get to see it Do you know what, when she sees it, good night, oh my goodness I mean, we're all gonna hear about how freaking amazing it was It's on Instagram, we're gonna hear it on Snapchat We're gonna see it on Facebook once a week for probably 17 weeks Guys, oh my gosh, guys, you have no idea, freaking amazing Kristen, is this accurate? This is totally accurate When you experience something worthy of praise When you experience it When you see how good When you see a good show or hear a good performance or eat a great meal, we have to talk about it. We have to. Why? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. We praise what we enjoy because the enjoyment is not fully felt until we express it. To put it another way, you praise other things, people, movie, books, you know, music. You praise things out there to show the joy that you have in here. To show how much you enjoy something or someone or something. It brings you joy, joy to praise what you find praiseworthy. And so when music and plays and lovers, they bring us to delight and praise, it should be no surprise. If those things bring us to delight and praise, it should be no surprise that because we were, we were fundamentally created to be containers that, that would hold in wonder things that are, are truly wonderful. You see, we're created to display in our lives the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of our Creator. We were created by God to reflect back to Him how infinitely valuable he is and this is really important to understand if you're following jesus or just learning about him because the in the intensity of our praise is only equal to the level of fulfillment and enjoyment of the object of our praise and this is about anything in life that you seem to enjoy that because you were created for glory you you look to find fulfillment and enjoyment in someone or something whether or not it's the one who made you if you aren't being filled by Christ, 
then you look to make friendship maybe a god with a small g, or a girl or a guy a god, or academics a god, or entertainment a god, or food a god, or, or exercise a god, or, or, or a car, and your car a god. You, you have to understand that in the midst of the pain for an addict, in the, is the midst, in the midst of the, the, the search for significance for a, a user, in the midst of the wreckage some people make of relationships, there is a hint of glory. I want you to hear this carefully. There's a hint of something glorious about the, a woman who chases guys or a man who chases a beer. There's a hint of glory in the one who chases a perfect figure or, or who wants to get straight A's or financial security. And the reason is, is that these, the reason we want these things and do this is because we think it will bring us deep joy and satisfaction. But God designed you with dignity and the quest for this utter satisfaction, it will always leave you running from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, and not stopping until I pray that you find something of ultimate worth that brings ultimate enjoyment. So your dignity is not found in what you do, but in what God has done for you. Life truly done apart from God, it will have an echo of hopelessly looking to fill this empty container of glory that God created me to be, but I can't seem to find anywhere else. Because whatever captures your heart has your life. So whatever captures your heart will have your life. What's captured your heart? Where has your heart today? You were made for glory because someone truly great created you loves you. You know, the problem is that we come into this world disconnected from the one who made us. We are completely unplugged from the source of life. And God gives us over to lesser loves, which will never, ever, ever, ever deeply satisfy us until we turn away from them and turn to Him. When I was 19 and I heard this in a, in a fresh way, I felt like, whoa, there's hope for me. There's hope for me that I, that I would find what I really long for. And, and, and God draws near to us when we recognize that we, that he has made us in, in a way, he's made a way for us. Not for us just to, to do good, but through Jesus to be good. I thought, you know, I thought I'll never be good enough for God. I mean, when I understood who he was, I was like, God, I'll never be good enough for you. But the scriptures say that the punishment that brought me peace, that brings us peace, it was upon him. Well, what could I ever do that would make me good? What he did will always be enough. God says, I have a way to restore you and reconnect you to me. I will restore what is lost if you willingly give your life and trust me. See, in the cross, Jesus died the death for your rebellion that you should have died. And he did it because he loves you. He suffered in order to bring you life, listen, to bring you the greatest enjoyment in life and to connect you to his presence forever so that you would know how infinitely beautiful he is. And when we get this, we delight to display his glory and his love and his righteousness to all who would see. 
you know, perhaps you're sitting here and you're at a crossroads with God. Maybe even now, as I'm talking about what you were designed to do and to be, it means that your purpose and God's purpose, the Creator, that it's in opposition. But perhaps this is really new and, you know, you want to know more. You've never really heard it in this way. I just want to invite you to keep coming back, come to corner, talk to me, grab a copy of the scriptures. Because I want you to know, we want you to know that you are created for glory because someone truly great created you. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Lord, it's humid in here. <laughs> Father, I, as the band's coming up, God, I just, I think it's so simple, so simple that we are to get, that we just to kind of, you know, understand who you are, Lord. You, when we do that, would you redirect and direct our lives? God, for the sake of ourselves and our families and a, and a, and and, and a campus and campuses that need to know that they matter and are worth it because a great God created them. Lord, would you speak that into each of their hearts today? Lord, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here would be present when you come in the fullness of your kingdom again. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.